All right. Well, good morning, Faith family. So my name is Christoph. I am one of the pastors here at Faith, and I'm the minister to youth and families. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 8, like I said. And if you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles spread throughout the room. It is God's written word. If you don't have a personal handheld Bible uh, written not on a screen but in paper, I would encourage you uh, to have one. And please, take one of ours. Um, it's yours. Write your name inside of it. Take it home and, uh, and read that thing. It is our joy to make sure that God's word is in the hands of, of his people. Um, I'm going to pray one more time for us as we prepare our hearts to receive God's word. Father, as we spend our time in your word this morning, would you open up our hearts to what you have to say? Father, I pray that if there's anything that I would say that would be distracting this morning, you would help keep us from it. God, I pray um, that if there's anything that you would need communicated into our hearts this morning, that you would make it loud and clear. And Father, I just pray um, that we would just faithfully listen to you. Lord, we love you. We are so thankful. We are so thankful to live in a time where we have your word just readily available in front of us. God, I pray that you bless this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are going to be in John chapter 8. Uh, we are currently going through a series of the I Am statements uh, that Jesus has made. So we are going to read through John 8, 12 through 20. John 8, 12 through 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Even if, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered them, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you'd know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. All right, so this morning we're continuing in our series here in the Gospel of John, looking at the I Am statements of Jesus. Throughout his ministry, Jesus gives these incredible self-defining statements that give us and the people that Jesus was around at the time a better look into who he was. As we read in John chapter 8, Jesus, standing before the crowd, makes another one of these incredible self-defining statements when he says, I am the light of the world. And I want to unpack this statement uh, specifically, and then I want to unpack a little bit of the Pharisees' response. But I think if we apply a little bit of context to this passage, it will shine. <laughs> all right, all right. And, <laughs> shine like light it's all right okay <laughs> first all right so first the gospel of john it's a unique gospel compared to the other three gospels we have four gospels four good news accounts of the ministry of jesus about his life matthew mark luke and john and the first three matthew mark and luke share a number of stories a good number of stories from different perspectives all true john's gospel 
tends to share some different stories. We read things in John that we don't necessarily read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And um, some of these stories really aim to bring home the fact that Jesus is truly the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. John ends his gospel. The last verse of the gospel of John explicitly states what John is attempting to do when writing his gospel. It says in John chapter 20, verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John's gospel acts as an apologetic for who Jesus was, is, and will be. Pastor Jeff hit a little bit on this last week, but this is why the I am statements are so powerful. It's Jesus giving us insight into who he is and into his character. They are not he is statements as if somebody from afar is defining who Jesus is. They are I am statements. It is Jesus himself giving us these incredible self-defining statements. So now that we have a little bit of an idea of when we read the Gospel of John, what his intention was for the Gospel, I want to zero in a little bit on this specific passage because there's some cool context to who and why Jesus is telling this statement to. When he gives this I am statement, he starts with the word again. You may have noticed that, that in verse 8 it says again, as if it is following something. And you would think, well, of course, verse 12 is going to follow verse 11, in which most cases you would be correct, but in this instance, it actually makes a lot more sense that John 8, 12 would follow John 7, 52. The beginning of John chapter 8 actually reads a little bit more of a one-off story, and we don't have time to like go into all the reasons why that is, but we read in John chapter 7 where Jesus is, who he's with, and why he is there. The beginning of John chapter 7, it tells us that he is at the festival of booths. He's at the festival of tabernacles. And this festival was an eight-day celebration celebrating God's protection over the Israelites as they wandered the desert being freed from the Egyptians. They would stay together. They would stay together in these tents and in these booths to remind themselves of how the Israelites had to live after they were freed from slavery in Egypt. And all through the course of this wandering in the desert, God gives them different ways. He provides for them in different ways. Last week, Jeff talked about one of those ways in which God had provided through his people, which is the bread of life, right? There was manna that God gave to his people. Each day, they would wake up to manna from God. Another way that God protected and led and guided his people was through light, we read about this in Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13, 21 through 22 says this, By the day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So to remind themselves of this, during the festival of booths, there would be these incredibly tall candles that would be placed outside of the booths, and they would actually go and light these candles. They would actually have to go and get uh, ladders to climb all the way up to light these candles. But these candles were lit to remind the Jewish people that God had guided the Israelites during their time of wandering. And after seven days, so remember this festival is eight days long, after seven days, they would extinguish the lights 
And the eighth day would be a day of, uh, it would be a somber day, a day of remembrance, a day that God would someday return as a guiding light, that there would be one who was promised for God's people to be a guiding light. Now we know that Jesus is addressing them on this final day. In John 7, verse 37, he references the fact that it is the last day of the festival. So for a moment, I want you to imagine you are at this festival, you are gathered together with these people, these lights are extinguished to remind themselves of the anticipation that one day God would come back for his people. And then Jesus says this, John 8, verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. I just got goosebumps thinking about that. They knew exactly what he was saying in this moment. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I would imagine this would hit just a little bit differently than just like a little candle lit in a dark room and it was probably way heavier than just like turning on a little lamp inside of a room or uh, when you like have a flashlight and you turn it on inside of a room. No, this was a pillar of fire type imagery. This is not some superficial statement Jesus is making about the words he speaks or the things he was doing or the commands that he was giving his disciples, he was making an incredible self-defining statement. As God was the pillar of fire that led the Israelites through the desert, so Jesus was the light, is the light of the world. That whoever follows him would not wander in darkness, but would have the light of life. This is not a statement that anyone else could make about anyone except for the creator of everything. This is not some he is statement, but this is an I am statement. Any hope in this world is like a decaying glow stick up to a roaring fire. It's completely paled in comparison. So how do the Pharisees respond to this statement? They try to discredit him. And here's the irony is they actually try to discredit Jesus with his own words. So first, they use the judicial law. They reference a part of Deuteronomy in saying in John 8, 13, you are bearing witness about yourself, your testimony is not true. And here's the thing, they're actually not just referencing this judicial system in Deuteronomy. They're actually quoting Jesus from just three chapters before in John 5, 31, where Jesus says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. And you have to imagine the Pharisees have such a smugness to themselves when they say this. There's so much self-righteousness when they thought that they caught Jesus in this ultimate gotcha moment. What actually happens is that Jesus is going to use this to actually reveal the Pharisees' hearts. So Jesus, for a moment, goes along with their reasoning, and he says this, but if I do bear witness about myself, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I who judges alone, but I and the Father who sent me. 
And it is so sad because standing right in front of the Pharisees is the light of the world, the one that they had waited for, the whole reason that they had extinguished the candles to take a day of observance and remembrance for this light that was to come was standing right before them. But in their self-absorbed desire to be the dictators of right and wrong, they completely missed this light of the world standing before them. They want to quote Jesus in John 5, 31, but they completely miss what's said later on in verses 39 and 40, which says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And this self-righteousness was such a stumbling block for the Pharisees that they didn't even recognize that it was their own words, their own thoughts that they were getting caught up on. They were taking God's word, they were reading it, they were memorizing it, they were digesting it, they were discussing it. They were doing all of these things, but what they sought eternal life in was not in the creator, the sustainer. Rather, in the words that he gave. And they twist it. Jesus didn't say here, my words are the light of the world, or my actions are the light of the world. It's Jesus who is the light of the world. We talked about this when we went through the Sermon on the Mount last year. Last year, we, we did a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we talked a lot about how the Pharisees were quoting Scripture, And Jesus constantly revealed the fact that they were twisting Scripture in order to gain more power, in order to gain more for them, rather than getting at the heart of the issue. It wasn't that they weren't reading God's Word, it was that they were abusing it and elevating it to something it was never meant to be. And in doing so, they were revealing that it was their hearts that were rotten. There are a lot of people who really like the ideas of Jesus or some of the parts of Jesus but in doing so, completely reject him. I, I wrestled a lot with verses 15 and 16. So if you have those in front of you, verses 15 and 16, because it seems here like Jesus is saying, I don't judge, but if I do. <laughs> but he's responding to the Pharisees' constant judging of the flesh. It's kind of like this. Parents, if you have a child who doesn't mutter a single curse word. They don't say a single curse word, but the way they speak about people is disparaging, discouraging, filled with gossip, slander, and lies. And they have completely missed the point when Ephesians 4 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building up. It is a heart issue. When you see other people as made in God's image, worthy of God's love and yours, then you're going to do everything in your power to fight against corrupting talk. It doesn't come from a list of like words that you say or don't say. It comes from a heart that has changed. I'll give another example. Husbands, I feel like I, I oftentimes hear the request about how to be a better husband or father to our wives and children. And the request oftentimes is tied to an expectation that you're going to be given a list of things to do and not to do. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're washing the dishes daily, if you're not laying down your life for your wife as Christ laid down his life for the church. That's what scripture says. It comes from a changed heart. And a changed heart only comes from Jesus, the light of the world. 
So this is, by the way, why Jesus can look at the Pharisees and say that they don't know his origin. He is literally standing in front of them saying, hey, remember that light that was promised to your people, that Messiah who was promised to come and set his people free? It's me. And he's met with, um, well, actually, your testimony is by yourself, so your testimony is not true. So like push their glasses up on their nose. Despite this, Jesus actually goes a step further, and he actually plays by the rules. So he says this in verse 17. John 8, 17, In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And then their response. They said to him, Therefore, who is your father? Where is your father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. This is the way, what a way to finish this I am statement. The heart of the Pharisees on full display. We know the answer to this question. Jesus, the second person of the triune God, is testifying to the absolute lack of knowledge the Pharisees have of God. It might be better to say it this way. Jesus has put on full display that the Pharisees would rather clutch to their pearls of knowledge about God rather than knowing God himself. Uh, a book that was really influential for me early on in my Christian walk was called Knowing God from J.I. Packer. I don't know, do we have the quote for this one? Oh, we do, awesome. J.I. Packer says it this way, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers through his whole outlook of life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well. It is who God is and who we are that drives us, that changes us. It is not the things we do, but the person we look to. It is not the sum total information about God that causes us to worship God. This is what happened with the Pharisees. It is knowing that we are blood-bought children of God, knowing who Jesus is, the work he did. When we celebrate communion, when we gather together and we proclaim that we stood under a debt that could never be repaid, and yet God himself came to earth, lived the perfect life, died on that cross for us, we can gather together and sing that his mercy is more because we know that we are his. All right, so now that we've unpacked this passage a little bit, we've given a little bit of context to it, I have three things, three kind of main points for us to take away um, this morning from this I am statement. And all of these statements, I'm just going to tell you right now, all of these statements are going to probably seem pretty obvious. You're going to go, yeah, of course. But my prayer, my hope is that we would, by the time we, we leave here this morning, we would, just be, we would be looking more to Jesus. We'd be looking more to Jesus. So the three things are this. One, Jesus is the light. Two, we are called to actively follow Jesus. And three, following Jesus leads to life. All pretty obvious, all right there in the verse. But let's go through them. So first, we're going to let Jesus define himself. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And I know it's a really simple point, but just, just to hang in there, this is not just 
an illuminating light, although that is what it does. And it's not just a guiding light, though that is also what it does. This is a source of life kind of light. This is what the whole world, all of creation, hinges upon kind of light. When Jesus makes this statement, he does not leave room for any other sources of light. Anything outside of Jesus will not give life. Another way of saying this, Paul in his letter to the Colossians says it this way, just a beautiful, beautiful uh, explanation of who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominion or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Nothing else can give us hope in this life but Jesus. The perfect job cannot give you hope. The perfect amount of money cannot give you hope. You cannot get enough snowmobiles to compare to the hope that is found in Jesus. Or, in the case of this winter, ATVs. Listen, the bottom of a bottle cannot give you hope. The perfect family cannot give you hope. The perfect achievements cannot give you hope. The right achievements or right amount of knowledge cannot give you hope. When you try to make anything else in your life the light which Jesus was meant to be, it will be a disaster. And this is why sin is so destructive. Jesus offers freedom. But much like the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians, Scripture says we are slaves to our sin. And much like God led the Israelites to freedom and guided them as a pillar of light, Jesus frees us from the bonds of sin and guides us through life. Right? Romans 6, 16 and 7 says it this way, Do you not know that your present self, uh, that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one who you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin, became obedient to the heart, to the standard of teaching in which you were committed. It is Jesus. It is Jesus. There are going to be those who look to Jesus' I am statement about being light, and they're going to say, well, it's a little bit like a light bulb. He lights a room and gives illumination to things, and the stuff he said was good, But if that's as far as we go, we are reducing Jesus down to be just a good teacher who does some good things. Our hope is not in what Jesus can offer us. Our hope is in Jesus. It's a lot like what Jeff preached last week. And you notice how the theme is actually really interesting. By the way, the I am the bread of life is the first of the I am statements. I am the light of the world is the second. And they both go back to and have ties to the Israelites wandering in the desert. If we merely go to Jesus for our physical bread, we are missing out on the bread that gives life. If we are merely going to Jesus for that which he illuminates, then we are missing out on the light of the world. What are you putting your hope in? 
What is that light that illuminates your life? If what Jesus can offer you is your light, you'll have no light at all. It's why Paul in Ephesians says that you are saved by grace, not by your own doing, so that no one may boast. Jesus is the light. No other God, no luxury of the world, not even your own works can be the light. Jesus is the light of the world. That is our first big point of this morning. But following that, Jesus makes this uh, incredible statement. He makes this incredible, self-defining statement. But what follows is an imperative, which means a command. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, there is a call to action. C.S. Lewis once wrote a, a short essay called Meditations in a Tool Shed, where he talks about an experience he has after being stuck in a tool shed. He's in a dark tool shed, and a beam of sunlight comes through the top of the tool shed. And while he stood in darkness, he himself is in darkness, he sees this beam of light come through and little specks of dust that are floating in this beam of light. And he's observing the light, but then what he decides to do is to walk into the light and look up into the crack in the roof. And what he ends up seeing is life. He ends up seeing the green leaves of the tree above. He ends up seeing the the blue sky. He ends up seeing the clouds that are floating around. And in this short uh, essay that he wrote, he remarks about the difference of merely looking at the light or observing the light from a distance and actually experiencing the light, walking into the light, looking through the lens of the light. Jesus moves beyond this self-identifying statement and says, it's not just that I am the light of the world. That is the first part. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, there is an imperative to then follow him. It's one thing to just acknowledge Jesus as the light. It's another to believe him. We're given this warning in James chapter 2, 19 that you believe there is one God, and that's good. Even the demons believe and shudder. We cannot be Christians who just sit back and observe the light as if Jesus was something to marvel at but not to follow. We cannot be Christians who study a bunch of facts about Jesus, memorize all of his stats as if he was an athlete to cheer on from a distance. Because here's the thing, if Jesus is the light, we are called to follow him. Later on in his letter to the Colossians, Colossians 3, 1 through 5, Paul writes, If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, What is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. What this means is when Jesus says, when you get angry, it's the equivalent to committing murder in your heart, you should take seriously any sort of anger that arises in you. You should take that seriously. When Jesus says that when you lust after someone, it's like committing adultery in your heart, you should take that seriously. This means when Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. 
You should pause and pray before you sit down on your computer ready to blast someone on the internet because they said something that frustrated you. Don't just observe the light from a distance while you stand in darkness, but instead step into the light. Experience Jesus. Follow Jesus. And if you're wondering what this looks like, first of all, I would just encourage you to go back and listen to uh, Pastor Jeff's sermon last week about the bread of life. If you don't know, by the way, because I've had a few people that have been like, oh, I didn't know you actually posted those online. We have, um, you can listen to our sermons on our website. Um, we actually have a YouTube channel you can listen to them, and we also put them out on a podcast feed, so you can go back and listen to those messages. And I would, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to Jeff, Jeff's sermon because he talked a lot about what it meant to uh, have Jesus as our bread of life, for us to daily depend on Jesus for providing for us, for being our sustenance, for being that which drives us through the day. It is a daily dependence. If you have professed Jesus to be Lord, the promise is that the Holy Spirit goes with you. Spend active time in prayer every day. Spend time in God's word every day. Spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage one another. Encourage one another to actively follow Jesus and not just observe him from a dark corner. And I think that we make this really complicated sometimes, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Come to church 15 minutes early and just talk to somebody. Come to area lunch. If you didn't bring any food, it's all good. There's always plenty of food. Stay a little late after church. Talk to somebody. Ask them if you can pray for them. Ask them what God has been doing in their life. We don't have to overcomplicate it. We just need to actively follow Jesus. I have one last main point for us. So uh, the first one is that Jesus is the light. There is no other light. Jesus is the light. Two, we are actively called to follow Jesus. And the last one is that following Jesus leads to life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's the truth. We are all actively walking in darkness until we walk with Jesus. The promise is that the one who follows Jesus will not walk in darkness, but will have, they will possess, it will be theirs, the light of life. Following Jesus leads to life. And following Jesus is not just about an arbitrary set of rules that God decided upon at the beginning of the world's foundation, but following Jesus means that we are living in the way that we were originally intended to live. I have been really challenged recently in how I think about the gospel because the gospel begins in Genesis 1, not in Genesis 3. What I mean by that is that in Genesis 1, we read that God created and he said that his creation was good. In Genesis 3, we read about the fall of humanity. We read about sin. We read about rebellion, and it opened up the floodgates of sin to come into this world. But God, in his grace and in his mercy, has been redeeming and renewing his creation. And the pinnacle of that work is Jesus. God created, we rebelled and sinned. The price of sin is death. It would have been, just like Jason said, it would have been completely justified and just for us to pay that 
price, but instead God sent his son to pay that price, the price we owed. Despite not owing it, Jesus would pay the price for it so that we could have the light of life. So what it means to have life is that we trust that when Jesus tells us, that when we are trust of actively following him, that it is because it produces life in our light, in our lives. Now here's the truth. You are going to, many times in your walk with Jesus, you are going to have times where you feel the tension or the struggle of this. Following Jesus means that there is going to be something sometime that you really want, but you know is not going to produce life. And this is where faith comes in. You have to have faith that God's way is going to be the light of life. It's, it's kind of like this. Um, I oftentimes, I don't, I don't like to use this, um, but four years ago, uh, I lost a considerable amount of weight. And the tipping point for me in losing that weight was realizing that a lot of the foods that I ate, I ate because in a very small moment, uh, moment of, of satisfaction, it brought me joy to have uh, that taste in my mouth, right? But I realized that the things that I was eating wasn't actually bringing me life. Like, right? like as, I, as I was pursuing those like, moments of, just, like, of, of deliciousness, I realized that what I was consuming wasn't actually giving me the opportunity to be the person that I was created to be, to love my family the way that I was called to love them, or to be able to interact with the youth as I was hoping to be able to interact with them. I was chasing these just like moments of satisfaction rather than trusting that the things that actually brought me life were going to be good. I can say now, four years later, that it is far more worth it for me to feed on the things that give me life rather than the things that don't give me life. It's just not worth it. In the same way, sin will give you a momentary illusion of life. Man, if you only had that job. Man, if you only had the opportunity to go to that place at night rather than spending time with your family. The thing is, is that chasing after those moments, they don't produce life. And what they actually do is they destroy you from the inside, and they destroy those around you. That is what sin does. But here's the awesome thing. As we continue to faithfully follow Jesus, he will begin to rewire our desires, and our desires will be for the things of life. Our desires will be for the things that produce life. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17. From now on then, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We walk in the light of life. The old desires are gone. They have passed away. We are a new creation. And so we follow Jesus. We, follow, we actively follow Jesus because he is the light of the world and we know that following him produces life. You were created by God. He knows you inside 
and out. Every thought you have ever thought, every desire you have ever had, he knows you from the inside out. He loves you. You were born into a broken world. You were born into sin, and we in our nature are broken, and we are broken away from our creator. The consequence is death, but Jesus paid the price. Death could not hold him down. He conquered the grave, rose from the grave. Now those who profess Jesus to be Lord actively follow him. There are those of you in here this morning who have yet to step into that light. You are still standing in the corner of the shed and you're observing the light, the beam of light as it is coming through, but you are still standing in the darkness. And I'll just ask you why. Turn to him. Step into the light. Look to Jesus. If he died, rose from the grave, he conquered death, why just stand back and observe, but instead have life? Really spend time asking the question, who is this Jesus? For those of you in here who do walk with Jesus, you have been faithfully looking into the light. You know Jesus is the Lord. You are in the midst of that tension of actively following him. You know that there are moments where you fail. Just understand that Jesus knows, God knows. His grace and mercy are deeper than any ocean. They're deeper than any lake, any well. And it never dries up. The call is not to be perfect. The call is to be faithful in just pursuing him. So when we do have those moments where we pursue the other things, go to him in confession. Know that he is faithful to forgive. Seven times 70, he is faithful to forgive. Over and over and over again. And then as you are walking in light, as you are looking to the one who provides light, when you're looking to him, You are called to then shine that light. You are called to be salt and light to a world that desperately needs to know who Jesus is. There are people you interact with each and every day who need that light. They need to know who Jesus is. We need to be the people who are salt and light in our communities, loving them, pointing them to Jesus, serving them. And this is is a little bit off script, but I'll say this. The call is not for you to force fruitfulness, right? God is the one who will produce the fruit. You are just called to be faithful. The call is to be faithful. God will be fruitful. So that means when something doesn't go the way that you expect it to, like maybe you do actually sit down with somebody and you like invite them to church and they go, no. Just okay. God's going to do that work. Trust that God is going to do that work. Just continue to be faithful where you, where he is calling you. Allow him to be the one who is fruitful. Jesus is the light of the world. The call is to follow him. Whoever, whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will walk in the light of life. Let's pray. Father, help us to trust you more and more each day. God, help, uh, help to reveal the things in our life that are holding us back from, from, from you being the total light of our life. Help expose the different, uh, I think it's just these glow sticks that just we're, we're trying to cling to for light. And God, help us to look to you as a pillar of fire to guide us. God, help us to trust that the work you are doing is good. 
Father, I think of the imagery of, of the stone, the heart of stone that then's turned to flesh. God, I pray uh, that you would just give us hearts of flesh, hearts of life to pursue you, to make you the light of our life and in doing so that we would be salt and light in our communities. God, you are good. We love you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.